1: Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts.
3: Hello? to Cincinnati. You play to win
0: the game. It was all that Dan Marino's fault. Everyone knows that.
1: When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us.
4: Stockpile Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network.
5: I will say this, as you guys know, my, my children are growing up now, and if I'm fortunate enough that one of them has a, has a son or a daughter who decides they want to play football, and they're in fifth grade and they get their first opportunity to play football, I wouldn't hire Adam Gase to coach that team, because he would be in over his head. Adam Gase is the problem with the Jets. They should have fired him last year. It is ridiculous that we are now wasting another season with this guy who anyone who has ever watched football can see cannot coach this team. The players hate him. They don't respond to him at all. And let me tell you something. Peyton Manning has put a lot of people's kids through private school, right? Keyshawn knows what I'm talking about when I say that. Adam Gase is at the top of that list. Here is where Adam Gase's offenses. Have ranked in total points scored when anyone besides Peyton Manning is the quarterback. 23rd in the league, 17th, 28th, 26th, 31st, and now this disaster of an offense yesterday.
2: Welcome to another edition of the AFC's Roundup Podcast. I'm your.
4: Oh! Get it!
2: Woo! I am your host, Drew Gear. That's Chris Kruger, my producer. And that was Mike Greenberg from Keyshawn, Jay, and Zuban on ESPN Radio. That show is a bomb.
4: Yeah, they have Bomb, not. bomb, bomb,
2: bomb, bomb.
4: They haven't had good radio ever.
2: Nagasaki wishes they dropped the atomic bomb instead of that show on them. That's how bad it is. They're like, oh, thank God we got the bomb and not that show. <laughs> but with that said, Mike Greenberg... He's got a thing or two to say about Adam Gates, and so do we as we walk into this week's AFC East Roundup Week 1. Welcome back to football, Chris. Cheers. Cheers! Woo! In our first week of the NFL season, it was AFC East on AFC East Crimes. Divisional opponents squared off, and the results... (laughs) They speak for themselves. The Bills and Patriots, one by air, one by land. They stand tied for the division lead at 1-0 after defending their dirt and winning at home by multiple scores. The Jets and Dolphins, well, they just battled quarterback ineptitude and questionable offseason contributions from their free agent classes, falling to 0-1, starting their seasons off on a sour note. (laughs) I wouldn't have it any other way. For our Buffalo Bills, Chris... First of all, our listeners can get our full recap, complete with stats and analysis in our Rockpile Report podcast that dropped yesterday. We hosted team captain Reed Ferguson, who actually gave some surprising insight on the kicking situation with Tyler Bass. We also talked about Alan V. Darnold, Chapter 3, the emergence of something I was pounding the table for in the offseason. Just go back and listen to that podcast if you want the in-depth stuff. But, Chris, we're here tonight to talk about this. Looking at it from a Bills perspective, how high should we actually be feeling? We just railroaded a team coached by someone who, you just heard Greeny lay it out. Fifth, is fifth a, grade
4: football. He's a boob. In over his head.
2: The man is a boob. We know that.
4: I don't think that the Bills get a... a when I say test, I mean a test that will be acknowledged by the national media and I don't think that's going to come to week 3 against the Rams because the Jets and Dolphins are I think are two games that you should have in the bag. I the Jets are constantly rebuilding and I think the Dolphins are probably 40 to 50% done with their rebuild so we still should have these two games. Week 3 against the Rams is, is where you could from a national media perspective get a good read on what the bills are about.
2: But who cares about the national media? Chris <sighs> I we do this podcast. You just it's want, grown the way that it's grown because the media sucks. You just want to true keep, or false? Yeah, that is true. Okay. You, you just want to keep Buffalo a secret? The, kind of. <laughs> so, so with that in mind I was talking to a friend of mine at work and we were talking about coming into this game, our expectations for the Buffalo Bills. And we were talking about how, debating whether or not this, what type of game we needed to see from Buffalo to feel confident about it. And the thing that I walked into this with was that the bar in the AFC was set on Thursday night. Kansas City walked into that game against Houston And picked up right where they left off when they ran out of fireworks at home in that playoff game. They took them to the woodshed. Because their quarterback is too good, their skill players are too good to be covered by decent defenses. You have to be able to match that. The bar in the AFC got set right then and there. So walking into Sunday when the conversation turned to what did I expect from the Bills in order to be happy about it? I wanted to see the Bills answer in a way. You're talking about a Jets team that's quarterbacked by the boob Mike Greenberg was talking about. Yeah. You should handle that team. My friend said, no, if they win, a win is a win is a win. And I know Nate Geary from WGR was debating fans all day long about how.
4: That's where you went off on him because he had that steak
2: tweet. Listen, he tried to make an analogy about steak. And say that while a steak well done or a steak rare is still a steak, it's not a steak rare to medium rare. Is a, it? Listen, that 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 steak. A steak cooked well done is an offense to the cow. It's an offense to the steer. That it's an offense to the steer that grew the meat. It's an offense to the chef's cooking ability because if you cook something well done, you're asking him to just hold it under fire until it un- it's unreasonable to continue doing so. And at the same time, it's a perfect way to not ever be invited back to my house. It's a profiling mechanism. I'll call the cops. You order a well-done steak at my house, I will call the police. I will have you removed.
4: He can definitely offset
2: that with ketchup. <laughs> I think at that point, we just dig a hole for you in the backyard. No one ever sees you again. But so with that in mind, a win wasn't going to be a win for me. I needed to see the Buffalo Bills come into this game and look convincingly like the better team. I don't think they disappointed.
4: They they did a good job. I mean, it could have been a lot worse if we hadn't fumbled and missed the field goals. It could have been I think it could have been thirty-five nothing
2: at halftime. It it probably could have it been should have been. The injuries to our linebacker core, those pulled some of our starting linebackers off the field, and yet you didn't see what they scored they scored seventeen points. But yep. when it mattered it was twenty one to three going into halftime. Should have been twenty four. Yep. Should have been twenty four. Twenty
4: eight. So, how many, well, how many times did we fumble? It could have been 35. So We had two first-half fumbles inside the 30-yard line. I thought it, we were past thir- this. No. Ugh. It could have been a blowout right from the start, and you could have got some national media
2: points. Now, to your eye, Chris, the lay fan, I love how I get to call you that. All right. I, I feel, whenever I say that, I feel like John C. Riley and Step Brothers, when they're laying in bed, and he's, they're whispering to each other, and he just goes... This is a house of learned doctors. (laughs) You and your mother are
0: hillbillies.
2: As the lay fan here, when you watch that, when you watch the two teams operate side by side, were you ever in doubt that the game was the Bills? We were going to walk out of there with a W. Were you ever in doubt of that?
4: I was never in doubt of us not covering the spread. I thought we would easily win by a touchdown. Like, this is this is the the complete opposite here. We are trending upwards this season, and the Jets' second-year case is going to trend way, way down.
2: And what did you think of the performance you saw out of the Jets quarterback? Knowing what we've watched out of Allen, and then what he gave us on Sunday. It's disappointing. This, is this,
4: I still go back to our Seagram's bet that yes. I made with you for on Sam Darnold for those that forgot the Seagram's bet. It was Sam Darnold would win pre-draft, and this, this is my pre-draft. Dear. So we I did not know he was going to the Jets. But I thought Sam Darnold was so good and so talented that within give me five years and he will get his team to the Super Bowl and then Drew would have to drink a six pack of Seagrams on His kid's birthday, each one of his kid's birthday, if you and your wife want to have more, uh, a six-pack every birthday until Sam Darnold retired. And, you know, that's clearly not going to happen because the Jets are just simply not building around Sam Darnold. And it's—they're really—he's really, really like, kind of becoming a less— I would say less talented than Andrew Luck because Andrew Luck had that whole problem of never having an offensive line. <laughs> and it just seems like... You got
2: Ryan Grigson, as yeah, we call it. It seems like
4: Sam Darnold's always kind of running running for his life. And he's still making, like, rookie mistakes that like, we talked about, that one, that one interception from Milano. Just, yeah, throwing across his body. I think he did that on his first ever pass in the NFL Monday night against Detroit. Got pick six. Pick six, return for a touchdown. It's...
2: He- you t- so to see him shrink while Allen grows is definitely not part of the narrative that we've been fed, and it's not something that I think fans were looking for. But I'm I can't tell you how happy it made me. Happy it made me to watch that guy shrink while Josh Allen put on a show, put on a show that was going to be featured on highlight reels around the country. And where's Sam Darnold? Ah, oh, he's that guy. He's over there. He's like the kid at a high school dance just standing on the wall waiting for his chance like, yeah, maybe that pretty
4: girl. He's not alone. He's dancing with ghosts. <laughs>
2: Is that what he's doing? He's
4: dancing with ghosts.
2: In any event, if you guys want the, our full breakdown, all of the statistics, our, our insight to that matchup, go back and check out yesterday's Rock Pile Report podcast if you haven't already. Folks, ultimately, it was a fantastic way for the Buffalo Bills to start their season. And to help us bask in the shade in front of it all, we have our first guest of the evening, Mr. Scott Mason.
6: How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great, guys, and I'll tell you why. Thanks to Jameson Crowder and that 69-yard touchdown, I don't have to eat dominoes on the show. So thanks, Jameson. You have no idea how upset I was at that.
2: No (laughs) idea how upset I was at that. Oh, (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Mr. Scott Mason of the Play Like a Jet podcast. Now, Scott, you heard Mike Greenberg's take on the New York Jets as we opened our show as it pertains to your head coach. Obviously, I get a kick out of it because I'm a petty man. Who
6: are you (laughs) angrier at today as a Jets fan? Adam Gase or Sam Darnold? I'm more angry at Gase, but I do think that Jets fans need to come to grips with the fact that it's okay to start questioning whether or not Darnold is the guy that we thought he was. The book isn't closed on him. I'm not saying that. But you watch his mechanics, and they're just terrible. He looked gun-shy after that interception. And there's just that question in your head as to whether or not we're going down the Jameis Winston rabbit hole here because Winston's one of those guys where he was 25 years old, and he – through a ton of touchdown passes, and you could see the talent. There were a ton of times where you would watch Tampa and you would just see why he was picked number one. But then you would also see five minutes later why Bruce Arians would be grabbing out whatever Harry has left at the end of the games because Winston would drive you nuts with these boneheaded mistakes, and you'd sit there and you'd say, he's so young, he's got so much talent, can we give up on him? And you're sort of in purgatory. And that might be where we're headed with Darnold. I'm hoping it's not. But the other thing, guys, you know this. The Bills, for whatever anyone wants to say about Josh Allen, have surrounded him with great talent and excellent coaching staff. okay, And they've tailored everything they do to his strengths. Okay. The Jets have not done that. So I think with Darnold, it may be one of those situations where we never know exactly what he could have been. I'm hoping that's not where we're headed, but it could be. So I am... More upset with Gase, but I'm definitely willing to entertain the people who are starting to question whether or not Darnold is going to be the guy. I think there's plenty more time for this to play out, where we'll see how Darnold does the rest of the season. But the 27 starts, and it's been a lot of roller coaster. And right now, you have to wonder if he's going to put it all together.
4: Yeah, you know what? It brings me back to uh, that. Uh, Last offseason where we had all the money, the Jets had all the money for free agency, and we went and spent on our offensive line and those those pieces while the Jets were like, we need a slot receiver. We need a linebacker. We don't need offensive line to protect our new quarterback that we just got.
2: Well, here's a question because this, this is what I – in watching the game on Sunday, Sunday specifically, because I understand thematically what's gone wrong with the New York Jets. And trust me, I – Chris can tell you, I come in here and I'll, I'll give him articles and he's like, oh, is this for the show? And it's like, no, this is just someone bashing the Jets just because I <laughs> because I enjoy it. So I enjoyed it I thought you might as well. On Sunday, what I saw to Sam Darnold and when you look at the numbers, I mean, from the eye test, I want you to help me make sense of this because here's some of the numbers on Sam Darnold's performance. I took a look at where, Chris, passing downs. Relatively speaking, you throw on second and third down, more so than first. You would agree with that as a lay football person?
4: Yeah, my favorite was his uh, third down pass to Chris Hogan, which is like a wide receiver screen. I think it was the first or second drive. It was like third and nine, and they got like two (laughs) yards.
2: Oh, great play call. So this is, and this plays into this. When you look at the statistics of what he accomplished on those passing downs, 21 times he threw the football on second and third down, nine incompletions, Four completions for less than four yards. And if you take away that blown coverage that produced uh, the 69-yard Jameson Crowder touchdown, which saved Scott's ass from having to eat. <laughs> Just dude, Chris, can we agree Domino's might be the grossest chain pizza? Yeah. Of the could, big guys. I mean, I'm sure there's a Marco's or something out there. that people. Papa want. John's is pretty bad. Papa John's is pretty bad. I mean, it's also. Pizza Hut, you know, closed
4: down here and left. Yeah. We know that play sucks.
2: Yeah. So when you take away that 69-yard play, produce just 93 yards on downs where you know you're supposed to be passing, or at least defenses might be able to say, hey, it's probable they're going to pass here. And one touchdown and one interception. What happened to Sam Darnold mechanically? I mean, we watched a guy who, Chris, for the first few drives, punt, punt, punt. Interception. I don't know what to make of this because the Sam Darnold we've seen, even I don't like the guy, but the last time you guys came to Buffalo to play, I saw a quarterback who with a team that wasn't if you trust Mike Florio, Mike Florio says this team is much improved from last year's that just not coming from me coming from the experts. They say this is a better team than he had last year. We watched a Sam Darnold who came into Buffalo the last time he was here and really hung with whatever our defense could throw at him. And this time around, it was like the play calling was erratic, but so was
6: his accuracy, his mechanics were off. What happened to your guy here? First of all, I have to object to the classification of Mike Florio as an expert on anything. (laughs) So we'll start with that. That reminds but, me of Patrice O'Neal
2: being on Fox News and going, hey, I'm offended. They're like, oh, offended because you were associated with this guy? No, I'm
6: offended because you called him a comedian. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I miss Patrice. Uh, I'll say this much. I think that the, the big worry here is that he was missing open receivers, and it was happening quite a bit. And like you said, his mechanics looked bad. He had started to clean those up at the end of 2018. Ironically, I think the best stretch he's had was the end of his rookie season. He put together some really good games there and gave everybody some real hope for 2019. And, of course, as we know, the mono thing happened and it all spiraled out of control a little bit. But that's what I think needs to be addressed here. If Adam Gase is the quarterback whisperer, the guru, so to speak, How is it that Sam Darnold's mechanics are right back where they were when he got here? Why is it that Darnold is missing wide-open receivers? And again, this is where there are people that will absolve Darnold of all blame. They'll say, oh, the old line's not good enough. The receivers aren't good enough. And look, his supporting cast is bad. We know that. I mean, when Chris Hogan and Rashad Perriman are playing 100% of the snaps, (laughs) you know that there's an issue there, I think. In the offseason, they miscalculated by not bringing back Robbie Anderson, and there were things that they really should have done. Look, Denzel Mims not being out there doesn't help, but even so, he's somebody that needed some work, so who knows exactly what he was going to give you the first few weeks of the season. And yeah, we know that these teams haven't had that much time together, but there's no excuse for some of the stuff we saw from Darnold. The offensive line, as Michael Nania pointed out, was giving Darnold escape routes. Even if he didn't necessarily have wide open receivers, there were places for him to go that he just didn't go to, and that's concerning. And the fact that he was missing guys that were open. Look, I don't care who your offensive the throw back across your body, the throw back across your body. That's a play. Someone said it as
2: we were watching the game in my basement. Someone looked at me and goes, "That's a Josh Allen 2018 ball," mm-hmm. and I started thinking about it. And I go, "Wait a minute, he's right." That's the play where Josh Allen is so desperately trying to make something happen that he throws logic and common sense out the window and decides hero ball time. I'm just going to try to make some ridiculous improbable throw and it blows up in his face. We, we've seen it happen as Bills fans forever. And on a day when both of these quarterbacks were supposed to, uh, we talked about it in our Rock Power Report podcast this week. This was Allen V. Darnold three you know it's like it's like if you're an MMA fan this is the third matchup of these two guys one of them got the better of the other the last the, the last time around darnold came into buffalo and shocked everybody the first time who's going to show that they grew the most and i i expected to see josh allen play well i expected him to be better what i wasn't expecting was to see sam darnold take a giant step back as a football player. And I, would you agree with me that we saw a little bit of that on Sunday?
6: Yeah, it was ugly. There's just no way around it. Darnold was bad and he's going to have to turn this around. Look, he's somebody that's always been a little prone to, as you said, trying to play hero ball. The thing with him is that he's so talented that he can get away with that far more often than most quarterbacks can. The problem is of course, that he didn't get away with it against the bills. And, there's a level of cowboyitis that comes with Darnold and it's good and it's bad. It's good because you want a quarterback who has the confidence to do the things that Darnold tries to do. So Brett Favre would be an example where there would be times where you're like, Man, that throw has to be one hundred percent perfect, exactly where it has to be, and the receiver has to do exactly what he needs to do, or that could be trouble. And Sometimes it's smarter to just check down or whatever, but Darnold has that bit of cowboyitis where he'll say, okay, I want the big play. In fact, one good example of this is last year, I want to say it was against the Giants. Darnold had an easy first down in front of him. He had 15 yards in front of him. He could have scrambled for it, but instead he threw downfield into double coverage. Now, it was a perfect strike, and it went – Robbie Anderson was able to make the play, but why take – such a difficult chance when you have such an easy play right in front of you. And that's one thing that unfortunately you're going to have to live with with Darnold. The The problem is when that becomes all he does and he does it so much that he's never really taking the easy way out. That's the issue. And like I said, when you're provided with escape routes, because this offensive line isn't great, but it certainly was much better in week one, than they ever were last year. I'd agree So, with that. when they're providing you with escape routes and you're not taking them, that's very concerning. Well, so on the flip side of the ball, we've done enough bashing in the Jets' offense.
2: Defensively, <sighs> defensively, last season, defensively, your secondary was, your secondary was, I f- had its days. You guys were up and down. I get it. This offseason, you did lose a star safety. He is a star player in the NFL. He went to Seattle and had a phenomenal game. So with that said, your secondary was way more porous than I expected. As a Jets fan looking at this from your side of the fence, does that say more about the Bills' talents? Or about the talent level of the coverage units of the Jets. I mean, you guys gave up the fifth most passing yards of week one, 315, to a team that has not, we've run the statistics down our listeners' throats over the years, but our team hasn't finished above 15th in the NFL in passing in the last decade. So to know that that team came out and hung 315 on you week one, what do you think went wrong?
6: on defense that allowed so many passing yards. Well, I think you're bypassing one very important part here, which is that the coverage unit wasn't good. And Pierre Desir was embarrassing, in fact, to the point where he got benched for Nate Hairston, who didn't do all that much better. But the big thing is that Josh Allen had all day to throw. They got no sustained pass rush whatsoever. And look, we know that the Jets... Are bereft of talented edge rusher Terrell Basham is okay Jordan Jenkins is okay But those are not guys that are going to Really give you a scare and then The front seven is uh, Excuse me the uh, defensive line is who you're Really looking to to Create pressure and you have Quinn and Williams And guys like Nathan Shepard who played very very well Down the stretch last year and Unfortunately they just weren't generating Any pass rush I mean The numbers that to me stuck out that really made me scratch my head weren't as much with coverage which listen it wasn't good we already stipulated that it's the fact that the Jets only had two QB hits the whole game one of them was Quinn and Williams uh, rather the two QB hits from the front seven I should say because obviously we know Marcus May got in there Uh, you had Quinn and Williams had one QB hit and Terrell Basham had the other and that was it from the front seven That's not acceptable, especially when you have a quarterback like Allen who can use his legs and buy time. So it was really just poor pressure and inability to get past that Bill's offensive line, which we had thought was going to be a problem because with Feliciano out and all of that, you thought that maybe they would have some issues, but they didn't. And then, of course, you you put that together with not-so-great coverage, and that's the recipe for disaster. Now, I will say that – Bless Austin played fairly well. So I'm not really including him. And obviously we know what Marcus May did, but Pierre de Sear was terrible at the other side, and so was Nate Harrison when he came in. So it was just an all-around poor effort. They couldn't get any pressure, they couldn't cover guys, and that's the result. Chris,
2: I don't know if you can hear this right now. This is me getting out the world's smallest violin. Playing our friend the saddest song ever written. You opening a beer. (laughs) All right, so we've had enough enjoying just the downfall of the Jets in week one. Going forward, week two. The week two outlook, we always want to put it in terms of hopes and fears. What is it that you're optimistic about? I mean, you guys are going to go home to Florham Park and you're going to take on a San Francisco team that just got beat by Kyler Murray and the Cardinals. They got beat. They got beat at home in a game that really the Cardinals, I expected this to be if the Cardinals were going to win, one where they kind of caught them by surprise. And instead, they Jimmy Garoppolo looked human. The the defense looked like they didn't have an answer for the high-tempo offense that uh, Arizona wanted to run. And I think they're going to be pissed. And I think that they're really going to come into this game highly motivated. So with that in mind, what are you optimistic about?
6: And what about this upcoming matchup has you concerned? Jimmy Garoppolo is interesting, by the way, because I think he's a good quarterback, but people get way too carried away. I don't think he's anything great. And he had a tough time on Sunday against Arizona. This is going to be a really tough one for the Jets because There's no home advantage. And, I mean, look, I'll be honest with you guys. I think that even if there was, a ton of the tickets would have been bought up by 49ers fans anyway. So it probably wouldn't have been the kind of home field advantage that a normal team would have. But you're looking at a situation where the 49ers now are 0-1. They're in a division with the Seahawks, so they know they have to keep up. I'm sure they're plenty pissed off that they lost... To Arizona, especially since they had Plenty of chances to win And they're a team with much better players Now, there are injuries, we know that they're very Thin at wide receiver, Debo Samuel Is on IR, Brandon Ayuk is not going to play again George Kittle is banged up Now, he'll probably play, but he didn't do Anything in the second half against Arizona So, there's Problems there, but Raheem Mostert Has incredible speed, and we saw what he did Against Arizona with that 79-yard touchdown touchdown uh, reception and I think The Jets are going to have a lot of trouble covering Him especially with those linebackers And and then on the defensive side Of the ball look Mekhi Becton played Really really well for the Jets in his First start and I think that Was probably one of the biggest silver Linings of the game against the Bills But now he's Going up no disrespect to Jerry Hughes but he's going to be <laughs> going up against Rosa And Ford and then you've got that Tremendous defensive line for the San Francisco 49ers as well Obviously the coverage units are pretty good So that's a really strong defense all the way around And you have to wonder If Sam Darnold was having all that trouble with the Bills What's going to happen now when he has to go up against Bosa And D Ford and Armstead And Chevon Kinlaw who had a really nice game uh, His first game as a 49er Their first round pick who came in to replace Buckner So this has disaster written all over it now having said that knowing the Jets this is the type of game that they would find a way to win because nobody thinks that they will and everybody's already written them off but even with the weird Jet luck I can't see them they're only six and a half point underdogs I think and if I were betting man I'm betting the 49ers all day to cover that spread so I was
2: gonna say according to our official partners betonline.ag you guys are getting seven points at this point, as of today. So, you're saying yeah. that you would lock it in for the 49ers
6: to cover that spread? I don't want to say lock it in because I want to see the injury reports first, but I would say that if I were betting today, I would definitely be betting on the 49ers.
2: Oh, <laughs> Chris, doesn't it suck not being able to bet on your own team?
4: Uh, yeah, it's uh, been, well, it was like that for us for the last, I don't know, 18
2: years. And that's why I think it's funny because people go, Drew, wouldn't you be more sympathetic to, to a fan in your shoes knowing, who, who's now in that position knowing all the decades of misery that you... No! Absolutely not! Absolutely not! I'm going to enjoy every second of this. <laughs> and Scott, just like I've enjoyed every second of talking to you, why don't you tell our listeners where they can find
6: your podcast and where they can find you on social media? First of all, thanks for having me on again, guys. It's always fun to talk to you. And if nothing else, we agree that all those chain pizza places are absolutely awful and you should avoid them at all costs. If you want to listen to, uh, well, I guess what Drew and Chris would call schadenfreude from a Bills fan perspective and hear what's going on with the Jets right now, I'm on all major platforms. It's Play Like a Jet, iTunes, Google Play, all the rest. You can check it out at turnonthejets.com. I'm on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1 and we do seven days a week of content, so... This will be interesting when we talk 49ers this week because the Bills had a much stronger roster than the Jets. The 49ers have an even stronger roster, and if the Jets go in an 0-2 hole, it's going to be really, really rough. But that is what I think is most likely. So if you're a Bills fan and you want to listen to some pain in Jets fans voices I suppose you can check out the show even though sports
4: had a break your business didn't you have to keep moving and that makes hiring more important than ever indeed is here to help indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because indeed gets you the best people fast unlike other sites indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. Like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job posts, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September
2: 30th. So, folks, that's enough shade and Freud. I'm not going to run. I can't hang on to this for. Chris, we can't just sit here and make fun of the Jets all night.
4: No, there's other teams to be made fun of. (laughs)
2: I mean, let's face it, that's what the AFC's Roundup is all about. And that brings us to our next guest, Mr. Elf Artiaga of 3 Yards Per Carry. How are
3: you doing tonight, sir?
2: Good. Are you good?
3: Yes, yes, I'm fine. It's early in the first (laughs) quarter of this game, so it's
2: fine. (laughs) You have the Miami Heat to root for. You just got done finishing up a spot doing your uh, Miami Heat pregame coverage. How... If you had to weigh it, are you a bigger basketball fan or football fan?
3: Well, I said on Twitter that uh, basketball is my favorite sport, but football is my religion. So, okay. It's, it's different. It's different for, for the two sports. <laughs> but I also love, you know, I love boxing and MMA, you know, like they're passions of mine. And I actually like horse racing a lot too. So, horse racing?
2: Horse racing yeah. is something I could never get into other than the fact that I go to these Kentucky Derby parties and I lose a bunch of money. I, I don't know any much more about it than that. I don't know. To me, there's no science in horse racing, but everyone tells me there
3: is. Do you know there's, wrong? There's a lot of science. To, to, to horse the race. only thing I know about horse racing
4: is some, like, I guess it would be like a blooper reel. There was a horse race, and the horse's name was Hoof Hearted. And the announcer just <laughs> kept calling him Hoof It's like, now it's Hoof Hearted. <laughs> And he, and he was like, it was we're getting in like down the stretch. He kept going, who farted? Who f-?
3: Yelling, who farted? Oh, my God. Yeah. That, that's funny that that got past the, the stewards and the, and the racing office when they named that horse. Thank you.
2: <laughs> so with that said, we're talking about the Miami Dolphins. And just exactly what went on in your loss to the New England Patriots this weekend. You guys, it, it, it was a weird game. For those of us here in Buffalo, I'm sitting here. I've got the Bills game on one TV, which we're cruising through. And I keep looking over because I've got the Sunday ticket. I, I look over and I've got the game mix and we're kind of keeping tabs on a couple different games. But I keep going back to this New England, New England Miami game. And I'm like, well, New England, New England isn't, they're not putting them away. Miami's hanging around. Miami's in this thing. And then when I saw the final score, I thought, okay. Miami must have done a pretty good job. I mean, I casually checked in, casually checked out. I went back and I briefly rewatched things, and then I listened to your podcast this morning. <laughs> and the picture that you guys painted of that game was dramatically different from what I thought I saw. So I had to go back and dig into the stats on my own. For you as a Dolphins fan, what was it like going in there, going into Foxborough with this idea that you guys could, you guys were going to have a chance? and knowing that the scoreboard didn't tell the full story.
3: Yeah, well, uh, at the end of the game, you know, we had a touchdown taken away from us on a pass interference call that was pretty obvious. Even the announcers <laughs> considered it a pass interference call. So I guess you can make the score 21-18, but still we would have had to have uh, an onside kick with two minutes left to try to win the game. So we were going to lose no matter what. But the game turned really against us. Besides, you know, the kickoff because when they kicked off and they started running their offense, it seemed like they knew everything we were trying to do on defense, and then we tried to outthink their offense. And they kept running these zone reads, and we kept running run stunts. And they would run outside zone against our <laughs> run stunts. So they just ran around And then around when you. we would run stack plays to try to stop their outside zone, they would run inside zone. Like they had us completely off balance with their run game. Then we kind of figured it out and sent them on four consecutive three and outs, and the score was 14-11. We had all the momentum, and sure enough, we call an all-out blitz on one side, and they run a reverse with Edelman. He gets 40 yards. That was pretty much the game right there. That just killed all the momentum. The score was 14-11, and we had him on the ropes. See, and, and we let them off the hook. We we had a, a bad play call. They get a 40-yard play, and they hit us for a 15-yard penalty on that play. So it put them right into field goal range, right inside the red zone, and they got their touchdown, and that was it. We played catch-up the rest of the fourth quarter.
2: Some of the statistics I dug up on this game were ugly. Ryan Fitzpatrick, okay? 191 yards passing, three picks, a fumble, and a 44.6
3: passer rating. He was was horrific in this game. Preston Williams, seven targets, two catches for 41 yards. He was actually shut down by Stephon Gilmore, and uh, Devontae Parker actually started the game looking like he was going to do it again to Stephon Gilmore. It looked like he was headed for a big one and he had his 4 for 47 and then he had to leave the game in the second quarter with a hamstring injury and never returned Jeez. and as soon as he he left the game you could tell that you know we were we were down a huge part of our offense we were all out of ideas well, after that
2: and then i guess was my question the passing game really failed to materialize what do you attribute that to just the quality of their secondary or do you blame the dolphins for some of this
3: Well, well. First of all, you got to give them credit. They have a lot of talent back there. Uh, They do. Jackson, JC Jackson is is like the next big thing for them, and we know Gilmore is probably the best corner in football. So, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Hey, we got two of them. Okay, (laughs) so so, but yeah, Gilmore is pretty damn good. And you know, we had a second year player coming off of an injury, and as good as Preston Williams has looked before, and as excited as we are of having him. You know he's a guy that wins fifty-fifty balls, and he's a he's a physical type wide receiver. And if you have a guy that just constantly gets position on you because he's quicker, and Gilmore, it's hard to get open. And he basically put the clamps on him. So I it's half the wide receivers. I guess it's one third, one third, one third. It's their secondary are wide receivers, and Fitzpatrick was just really, really, really bad in this game. <sighs>
2: I mean, I really thought you guys had a shot at this. I really did, and then
3: I did too. <laughs> until until they started running that college offense, and we had no answers for it.
2: Well, and as Chris Kaufman pointed out in yesterday's podcast over at Three Yards Per Carry, in terms of play calling, it sounds like you guys are pretty vanilla. You guys tried to run the ball. And you ran play action to Devonte Parker, and when he went out of the game, everyone just shrugged and just kept trying those same two tropes, and none of them they, did really. ha-
4: they didn't have CJ Spiller for a screen
2: pass. <laughs> I, what <laughs> would so now that you've seen a game with Chan Gailey as the offensive coordinator? What's your what's your takeaway from his impact on your performance this Sunday?
3: Well, he came in with, with a lot of big ideas of running a lot of 12 and 21 personnel with Jordan Howard that got shut down. So he decided, okay, I'm going to start spreading the field and handing the ball to Miles Gaskin and Matt Breda. And that started working, but then he decided that, you know, or maybe he just forgot that Matt Breda was on the sideline because, <laughs> because he had some successful runs, he even had that one run that got the, the team kind of fired up when we were playing kind of listless football. We ran it on, on second and eight and Breda managed to run over three guys to get nine. He got a first down and our sideline got into it. And then he disappeared for a quarter. So I don't know. He, he I, th- first of all, I thought he played way too many running backs. We saw all camp how it was a one, two punch. It was Jordan Howard and Matt Breda. All of a sudden we're having Patrick Laird get snaps out there and Miles Gaskin gets 13 touches. So. <laughs> It was just strange that all of a sudden we're playing four running backs when we were pretty sure that we were going to feature two, you know?
2: (laughs) I I wonder if some of that's just the panic of playing Bill Belichick. I I don't know. I just, when I kept looking up at the TV, I'm going, what the hell? They're so close. They're so Mm -hmm. close. And yet they can't seem to, you just can't close the door on them or catch them. And then when I go back and I look at the statistics and I listen to you guys talk about it, it sounds like it wasn't that close. I was just the casual observer who didn't know what the hell was going on. It was close for
3: one play. When <laughs> when uh, when we were down 14-3 and we get the touchdown and then we get the two-point conversion by a great scramble by uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, it's 14-11 and we're looking at it and we're like, okay, they've gone three and out four times in a row like it looks like we're going to pull away on these guys. And of course, that reverse gets 40 yards and that was pretty much the game. I'm telling you, you could you could you could put it it was like putting a pin into a balloon. It was uh, it was that moment, that one play encapsulated the entire game. You realize, okay, it's not it's just not going to happen for us today.
2: But there's so many smart people out there that tell me momentum doesn't matter.
3: Well, it <laughs> mattered in this game. It did.
2: So on the opposite side of the ball, when we talk about the defense, I guess one of the things that I took away from this was that I look at Cam Newton's stat line, and it's nothing to... If I'm a Patriots fan, I'm sure as hell not patting myself on the back because, oh, Cam Newton, quarterback, MVP candidate, quarterback of the year, going to take me to the Super Bowl. He had 155 yards passing, and he essentially stared down two wide receivers for most of the day. mm mm-hmm. Were you disappointed as a Dolphins fan in your new look front seven, loaded with free agent talent, being so ineffective in stopping that RPO based offense that the Patriots rolled out?
3: Yeah, and it was an odd and it was an odd performance, really, because uh, if you dig a little bit deeper, Jerome Baker was all over the place, and he was a stud. He had 16 tackles, he had a sack, he forced two fumbles, so he was a maniac. And then Christian Wilkins was all over the place. So you figure you got two guys in the front seven that are having big games. You should be okay. And then we had the rookie, Brandon Jones, playing free safety, who had a big game coming down and run support with 10 tackles. But that didn't tell the whole story. The whole story was really our defensive ends, Shaq Lawson, you guys know about him. Yep. And Emmanuel Agba, who just – they see – zone read looked like the moon to those two guys. Okay. Uh, it was really weird watching how we would make a huge play and look at the statistics. We had seven tackles for losses. If you, if, if a defense has seven tackles for losses, you would think you did something, right? But no, uh, you would see we make a positive play and then can we run zone read? Manuel Ogba is out there in space, you know, whiffing, hitting nobody and can gets nine yards and then it's, third and four and Cam Newton gets six yards on a scramble and it was you know if if there is such a thing as getting beat by one guy that's what this was and it was a good performance I would say by their offensive line because they finessed the hell out of Raquan Davis uh who was playing a little bit out of control he was uh I don't know if you guys noticed but after the game he took Cam Newton's chain also he snatched it off his neck and Cam Wait, was, what what yeah. happened yeah, after the game, uh, there was like a scuffle in midfield, and Raquan Davis came and ripped uh, Cam Newton's chain off of his neck. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Jesus
3: Christ. <laughs> but uh, he was playing a little bit out of control, and they were finessing the hell out of him, letting him run up the field. So he has to calm a little bit. He has to calm down just a little bit. I know he's a big physical player, and he wants to get them all and throw them into a bag and beat them with a baseball bat, but it doesn't work that way in the NFL. Sometimes you got to think a little bit. So... Once he calms down a little bit, I think he's going to be an effective player. But it was just a thinking man's football game. And we weren't thinking. We were just reacting and a little bit out of control and we, just not smart. And you got to say, us. our, our coaches and, uh, Chris Kaufman brought it up in our podcast. Like, how long has Josh McDaniels been coaching with Josh Boyer, our defensive coordinator? Well, I, I guess we got the answer on Sunday, right? <laughs>
2: He knew him inside and out. I was going to ask you the question. First of all, you're responsible for the first spit take that I think I've ever done doing a podcast. That's (laughs) hilarious. Uh, Second of all, that was going to be one of my questions is you alluded to the idea that they just knew everything you were going to do. Is -hmm. there any small part of you that just wonders, just wonders in the back of your head? If maybe, maybe (laughs) there's not a tape out there somewhere. (laughs)
3: maybe who knows (laughs) but it's really it's you know you could point to you could watch the film and say okay that's josh boyer's fault he's calling a run stunt and they had unless unless they know that the run stunt's coming and they're calling outside zone you know what i mean yeah you gotta you gotta really blame because sometimes at some point i said this on twitter during the game at some point you know you're just getting your ass kicked and you just say you know what Either our athletes are better than theirs or they're not. So let's just simplify things, play man-on-man football. And if it's good enough, great. And if it's not, I guess we weren't good enough to win this game. But to keep trying to outthink a Josh McDaniels-led offense, it was bad news. So that
2: brings us to the week two outlook. And we always, we always like to put this in terms of hopes and fears. What are you optimistic about? You're going up against my Buffalo Bills. mm what are you optimistic about and what about this matchup has you concerned?
3: What I'm optimistic about is that they had a week to learn and, you know, try to figure out what they want to do with that type of offense. So the next time that they see a zone read, which shouldn't be many more times the rest of the year, we might see it some on Sunday. <laughs> but, you know, at least they should have an idea now because it should be drilled into them all week what to do in those situations. Now, my fear is that it doesn't really matter what we do with Josh Allen because he just seems to have great games against us, even when he loses. So, you know, I'm I'm excited to see what they're going to do as far as, you know, fixing this offense and how they're going to try to – because I think Devontae Parker might not play in this game because he has a hamstring injury. So I'm excited to see if they incorporate Malcolm Perry and Lynn Bowden now and activate those two guys because that would add a lot more speed to the offense. But on offense, really, I'm I'm not worried about our secondary because we paid enough money for it, and Xavier Howard played 27 snaps. He was limited against New England, and he was limited against New England so he could get a full load going forward in week two, week three, week four for the rest of the year. So I'm not worried about it getting ripped uh, ripped apart by Josh Allen through the air, but can Josh Allen run for eighty yards and recreate what Cam Newton did? Absolutely. Except Josh Allen will fumble the ball <laughs> a little bit more.
2: <laughs> Except Josh Allen will absolutely put that thing on the carpet.
3: Elf. Well, that's a, that's another thing about that New England game. I, I hate to keep harping on it, but the game started and we punted, and they fumbled the ball at their own eight yard line, and we had four dolphins around the football, and a Patriot got it. <sighs> It was He's just a, one of those games. Once I saw that, I was like, okay. Here, that's here. a kick in the groin right out of the gate. And it was to start the game, too. <laughs> oh, my God.
2: <laughs> well, worst of luck to you in week two. Why don't you tell <laughs> all of all of our listeners and all the people out there where they can find your work on social media and where they can find your podcast?
3: Well, I write for uh, Five Reasons Sports. So you can find us uh, on the web. And uh, of course, our, our Twitter account is at three yards per carry. That's the number three. And you can get our podcast anywhere you get your podcast. iTunes, Spotify, everywhere. This football season will be different. And Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day,
4: no matter how you watch this season. So we here at the Rock Rockpile Report have some football watching do's and don'ts. Don't. Watch with fans of the opposing team. Don't wear a jersey and tuck it in. And don't celebrate a Bills victory by cooking a T-bone steak and then slathering it in ketchup. Do watch with your closest friends. Celebrate a Bills win with some beef, maybe some cheddar, and of course, celebrate with an ice-cold Pepsi. Pepsi is a refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. These passionate fans are the real generational talent that Pepsi fuels. Because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it.
2: And now, folks, make sure you go back and check out this week's Dolph- this week's Dolphins matchup in our Rockpel Report podcast, where we'll have a preview of what you can expect. And it's available wherever you can get your podcasts, including this one. To tell the other side of that story, we have the host of Lockdown Patriots, Mr. Mike DiBate. How are you doing this evening?
1: Gentlemen, always a pleasure. I'm doing well, and thank you so much for having me on tonight.
2: Anytime. Are you sure it's always a pleasure? I mean, you're
1: always a pleasure. As, As much as hanging out with Buffalo guys possibly can be, you guys are pretty good. So, no, I'm only kidding, folks. No, seriously, it really is always my honor, always my pleasure to join you guys.
2: Well, we appreciate it. And I'm sure you appreciated the dolphins kind of I don't want to say making themselves a doormat, but making things easy on the uh, easy on the blood pressure of people across New England everywhere, right?
1: Yeah, I mean for the most part, look. There's no question about it. The Dolphins were a little bit less than formidable in terms of what we were expecting from the Dolphins. A lot of that was due to some of the health issues with Devontae Parker. He was not the same player. That definitely changes the, the complexity of that offense. But, uh, you know, the Patriots came out and they quelled some early question marks that a lot of fans had regarding this team. Was the defense going to be able to stop people? Was Cam Newton going to be able to effectively lead this team? We've got the answers to those questions at least for now that those six those aspects of the Patriots uh, team right now seem to be intact now will that change once they play more formidable competition yeah I mean I think that's subject to change but right now for at least the New England Patriots fans were happy with the output that was put out on the field on Sunday well I think
2: it's one of the important storylines to come out of this game is that questions got answered on the offensive style that the Patriots were going to adopt Because everyone kept saying, there's no way Cam Newton can come in and stand in the pocket and deal the way Tom Brady did. Which is correct. There's no way he could do that. But Josh McDaniels, for as much shade as we throw at him, he's not a slouch. Neither is Bill Belichick. And so together what they did was they did what they always do. They just kind of geared their team towards the strengths of it. And that was in the form of Cam Newton in an RPO-based style of play. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Uh, I thought it was a smart way to uh, introduce Cam into this offense. Look, for the first time in a long while, Josh McDaniels has the capabilities of running plays in that RPO style. We saw a number of zone read concepts on Sunday. Cam Newton looked very comfortable. He looked healthy, which is really important to remember. Sounds basic, but it is a question mark that a lot of Patriots fans had. How would the shoulder hold up? How would the feet hold up? He looked pretty good in all those regards was seen on the sideline holding his hamstring a little bit. Cam says he's fine. The Patriots are usually tight-lipped about things like this, so something to keep an eye on this weekend, fellas, but ultimately I think the Patriots did a smart move in keeping Cam mobile and showing that they have that opposing defenses have to respect the fact that he's able to tuck the ball, run, and get after it. Rushed for 15 times for 75 yards, two touchdowns. He also threw for 155 yards, too, really leading a Patriots offensive attack that looked quite familiar on the ground. In the final tally, New England had 217 of its 357 yards on the ground. So this is a team now that is going to ground and pound. They're going to use that style to their advantage. And really, it is the bread and butter of their offense now. And just saying that statement a year ago would have probably been blasphemous here in Foxborough, but it's the way of the world right now, and it's the Cam Newton era in New England.
2: Well, and I guess that's one of the things that bothers me about what I'm seeing, because if I could put myself in the boots of a Patriots fan. Right after I got done throwing myself through a play class window, I would take a look at this game's stats and I'd say, my quarterback was a more effective runner than my running backs. Cam was 15 15 rushing attempts for 75 yards and two touchdowns at five yards per carry. The rest of the running backs on the team had 26 carries for 119 in a touch, but only 4.6 yards per carry. And you could tell the team, when it, when they got down in the red zone, they really leaned on Cam to do the heavy lifting. Can you honestly say yeah. that you're thrilled about that?
1: Uh, in terms of being thrilled about it for a game, absolutely. Uh, it showcased the quarterback. It let everyone know that this is a guy that you have to respect his ability on third and fourth down to tuck the ball run extend plays and get into the end zone cam proved he can muscle it in so for a game absolutely i supported it and i really i was very excited to see it but it's something that has to evolve over time the patriots cannot consistently rely on that because eventually what teams are going to do is they're going to line up they're going to try to stop cam from running they're going to try to keep him in the pocket they'll line up to take away the run and force cam to throw I think teams are going to do that. I believe they will. I think you're going to see that start in Seattle this Sunday. So they're going to have to diversify what they do. The runners are going to have to be a little bit more prolific. We're going to have to see a little bit more from Sony Michel. He had flashes where he looked like he ran with a little bit more spring in his step. Uh, but there were times where he looked very hesitant to hit the holes again. That's a problem that he had last year. Uh, you saw Rex Burkhead used sparingly. He'll continue to be used in that fashion. I would look for James White to be utilized a little bit more on out of the backfield. I think Cam in this week, especially against that Seattle defense, is going to look to play action to try to open up the running game, try to open up catching passes out of the backfield, maybe for some of those short yardage gains. Very similar to what Tom used to do. I wouldn't necessarily say that uh, Josh McDaniels has taken all of those plays and just thrown them in the trash. Some of them worked very well, and Cam can run some of them. So I would look for some more diversity this week in the Patriots' offensive scheme simply because they're going to have to show another dimension if they want to be taken seriously as a contender in the AFC.
2: See, and this is why Schofield loved you. We never prep Schofield with questions, and he answers some of them or at least alludes to them before I can even ask him. And you're the same way. You're cut from the same cloth. Because the next thing (laughs) I was going to ask you was, the concern that you might have over the lack of diversity in your passing attack. One of the things that I saw was a staple of the Patriots' offense of the last few years. Chris, you, I know for a fact you used James White a couple times in fantasy football.
4: Mm, I don't know if I've ever had him. Uh, I usually just stick to Chad Jackson.
2: Chad Jackson. So, the last few years, passing to running backs has been a staple of what the Patriots try to incorporate with their wide receivers. And yet... They deferred to just, uh, what is it, Edelman and Harry were the only two guys with more than three targets. That shocked me when I saw it. Because in my head, I go, wait a minute, this seems, if your ground and pound is working, throwing to the running back should be be second nature to that. And instead, they chose not to. I mean, eventually, you're going to have to throw. Not all front sevens are going to let you roll up rushing yardage like that. I... Do you you think it's situational or that these running backs weren't incorporated?
1: I think it was situational for the game plan. Look, Miami's front seven is still a very young front seven, a very inexperienced front seven, and a lot of those guys are still learning the Miami system. Don't forget, there's two or three guys in that system right now that were New England Patriots last year. They know Brian Flores very well, but there's a lot of learning that's still to do for the Miami Dolphins. So I think the Patriots attacked it very well. I think they realized the weaknesses in Miami's uh, set, and they were able to throw a lot of different looks at the Dolphins to keep them off guard and it worked. It's not going to work against Seattle and it's not going to work against some of the more formidable defenses in the uh, in the NFL. So absolutely they're going to have to throw. Um, Julian Edelman will continue to be a target but don't forget folks, he's 34 years old. He's only going to be able to take so much. There's a lot of wear and tear. As uh, you know, Indiana Jones said, it's not the years, it's the mileage. It's a lot of mileage on, on Julian Edelman. So he's going to have to have the pressure taken off of him. Is that going to mean Nikhil Harry? I think you saw Cam target him on a series where he hit him four straight times and Nikhil looked very strong, but you fumble the ball at the <laughs> goal line into the end zone. That is the easiest way to what get was yourself your reaction? to a Bill Belichick to, uh, Yeah, shaking the head Face palm, everything you can imagine, because he didn't drop his shoulder. He didn't do what he needed to do to get down and make sure that he protected the football. These are cardinal sins in a Bill Belichick system, even Josh McDaniels. And I think they'll keep riding in Nikhil because I think Cam sees something in him. There's a good synergy between these two. But ultimately, if he's not protecting the football and this continues to happen, you're going to see him taken out of the offensive game plan sooner rather than later. That could lead to some problems for the Patriots. Gunnar Oshelski had a very good camp. He's on the shelf for the first couple of weeks uh, in uh, an injured reserve. So the Patriots are going to have to rely heavily on Nikhil Harry. Jacoby Myers was only targeted very sparingly. He only played single-digit snaps on Sunday. That's going to have to change, but they need someone on that wide receiver court to step up. Demir Bird was basically invisible after muffing one of the uh, the punts. That's not a good sign. So yeah, if there's an Achilles heel on this offense right now, I know everybody is very bullish in. Uh, um, in Foxborough with regard to the running game and this rushing attack. I even called it on Monday. I even tried to dub it the New England Transit Authority to try to get some buzz surrounding it. But the aerial attack is going to have to be there, whether it's the wide receivers or the tight ends. Cam has to use some of those weapons to his advantage to be effective.
2: Now, on the other side of the football, something interesting I took away from this game on Sunday, the defensive back-heavy approach to replace the missing linebackers. I mean, we should have all kind of assumed that that was coming, given the fact that you guys took uh, Kyle Duggar as early as you took him in the draft, and just the way this roster was built. But what you saw was that they weren't shy about putting extra DBs on the field, and yet you still were able to hold the Finns' rushing attack in check. Now, do you think that's more a product of the young offensive line and... uh, what isn't, I mean, let's face it, the Dolphins' backfield, there's nothing. Chris could probably at least make a case for being on the field with those guys. I, I don't know. He, he keeps telling me what an athlete he is. I mean, he does play roller hockey. So. But
4: I, I do refuse to wear teal.
2: <laughs> is that the only thing <laughs> keeping you from being a part of the Miami Dolphins? Correct. So their running back stable isn't anything special. Do you think that that had more to do with that? Or do you think that this is something that the Patriots can continue to replicate going forward?
1: Uh, In terms of replicating, I think it's going to be difficult. For the reasons that you stated, I think Miami's rushing attack is pedestrian at best. And when you're facing that type of a rushing attack, it's going to make your interior of your defensive line look that much better. I'm not taking anything away from Lawrence Guy, Adam Butler, and Byron Coward, who I thought had a very good game. Filling in for the injured Bo Allen. These guys were very good at being able to stand their ground and they were effective in stifling the run on Sunday. Also, the linebackers, I was very impressed with guys like Anthony Jennings, Chase Winovich, Juwan Bentley in the absence of uh, um, Dante Hightower. They provided uh, stellar coverage and really allowed those guys to hunker down and be effective run stuffers. But you mentioned the secondary, and two guys in particular that I thought had great games on Sunday were Jawan Williams, the second-year cornerback, who was really playing a hybrid safety. He was playing a lot of time defending tight ends, really helped to keep Mike Gusecki in check for a number of uh plays and for most of the game and the guy who i really want to give a not the game ball but a game ball to is a guy that i covered when i covered the chargers uh, out in los angeles and that's adrian phillips who i thought really had a phenomenal game finished with a team high nine tackles interception in the second quarter he utilized the skill set that served him so well during his time in Los Angeles made big plays for the Patriots all over the field and that's what Adrian Phillips can do to a defense he can play on the edge he can play in between the tackles he can play deep in the secondary you saw him do all of that on Sunday and it really made the difference for the Patriots Uh, Kyle Duggar as well was in coverage didn't really make a lot of the splash plays that some of those other guys made but it really helps to facilitate and it also helps guys like Steph On Gilmore and JC Jackson to be in place to make plays on the ball. And you saw each of them come away with interceptions on Sunday. So good defensive effort for the Patriots, but pump the brakes just a little bit because the competition they were playing up against is not the type of competition that they're going to see starting this Sunday with Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks.
2: Well, and that's exactly it. Now week two outlook. We always break this down in terms of hopes and fears. (laughs) You're you're literally going from <laughs> from the fire frying pan into the fire. You faced a team that had some weapons but not a ton. They let you guys get your feet under you. And now you have to go to the West Coast and you have to take on a team that I think I, I think I said it to our guest elf. One of the things that I think were afterwards when we were talking about this, Chris was this concept that at some point Cam Newton is going to have to prove that he can throw because not all teams are going to do what Ryan Fitzpatrick did on Sunday. There are teams that are going to force you to score points in bunches. You're not going to be able to control the clock with the running game and just hope you can grind them out. And you're going to have to very early in this season while you're still trying to flesh out an identity figure out what that looks like on the road against one of the NFL's Ever since Russell Wilson kind of found his footing in Seattle, that team has been a contender. They're a perennial contender. And he is one of the better quarterbacks in football. I, I would call them one of the teams that can hang 20 on anyone. So now the question for you is, do you trust, I mean, what are your hopes and fears going into that game?
1: Well, your hopes and fears, obviously, begin and end with Russell Wilson, without question about it, folks. I mean, you look at what he brings to the table, the type of dynamic he can bring to a game, very similar to what Cam can bring on the other side. He can beat you with his legs. He can throw the ball. He's not afraid to throw it downfield. He has the offensive weapons to be able to throw it downfield and make big plays, unlike what Cam has right now in New England. So there's a number of different ways that the Seattle team can beat you. And they're better defensively than a lot of people give them credit for they're not the legion boom days but they're still capable of making plays and keeping offenses in check Your hopes and fears, obviously, if you're a New England Patriots fan, is Russell Wilson gets going early. He's able to take advantage of a young Patriots defense that does have a lot of turnover, a lot of inexperience, and be able to build on that. Uh, It was interesting to me this week that Josh Uche, the the draft pick that the Patriots had picked up from the University of Michigan, very highly touted, had a very good training camp by all accounts, was a healthy scratch this week. So you have to wonder if he's going to be in the mix trying to add some thump into that lineup because I think they're going to need the linebackers in order to be able to defend against a guy like Russell Wilson. But if he gets going early, it could end up being a long afternoon in New England. What you have to do is you have to try to match them. You have to try to match score for score. That is a very difficult task for any player team to do when you're looking at a Russell Wilson led offense so if I'm the Patriots I'm trying to slow him down early you mentioned you're not going to be able to grind them out but try to control the time of possession as much as you possibly can in order to keep that offense off the field Um, it's going to be a tall task. this is going to be a very good litmus test for the Patriots to see if they're truly a contender and they can be a contender or is it a situation where they looked a lot better on Sunday because of the competition they were playing
2: On primetime TV, you guys are getting four points, according to BetOnline.ag. How confident are you that your team can cover that spread?
1: um based on what i saw on sunday i am confident that they'll be able to cover it and the reason why i say that is because i do believe that you will see more diversity in what the patriots do offensively this week josh mcdaniels alluded to it when he spoke to the media uh, on monday morning he made mention of the fact that they are looking at a number of different ways to expand what cam can do keep him more comfortable in the pocket and be able to diversify that offense enough where you really have to guess at the line of scrimmage as to what this team is going to do because they have so many ways that they can be effective that's going to depend on the wide receivers and the tight end stepping up we didn't see much from either one of those units on Sunday probably because they didn't have to first off but second of all maybe because they're still finding their way they're going to have to do it and they're going to have to do it quickly Um, so I do look for them to be able to cover I think the defense has enough talent in the secondary and the hybrid positions guys like I just mentioned Adrian Phillips, Kyle Duggar uh, I think you'll see Terrence Brooks take on a bigger role this week as well. Those hybrids are going to allow the Patriots enough coverage in the linebacking core to allow that defensive front seven to be able to uh, to be as formidable as they can be. So I, I wouldn't say it's a it's a short bet that they're gonna uh, they're gonna cover that. You can never do that. I have too much respect for the Seattle Seahawks and Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll's coaching, despite of some of the you know decisions that he's made in the past, guys. Uh, but um, there's still enough there to. Uh, to bite on to. So um, I'd say confident, but not overconfident at this point.
2: Before we let you go, I have one final question. Uh, so our friends over at three yards per carry, the dolphins podcast, they were talking about it in their show today. And they were uh, elf Artiaga, our guest earlier tonight. And we were talking about how the, you guys just seem to know. Josh McDaniels seemed to know Everything that they were going to do on defense, when they called stunts and they stacked to the, or when they stacked to the outside, you guys ran it inside. And they, he said, "It's uncanny that they just really—they they must know Brian Flores and his his people because they knew everything we were going
1: to do." How, well, many, yeah, tapes, that, yeah, how many tapes? Yeah. How many tapes exist? Yeah. <laughs> you know there's some truth to that in a lot of ways and look josh mcdaniels at some point guys josh mcdaniels bill belichick and brian flores were all in the same room together talking about cam newton whether it was when the patriots played the uh the the other uh, panthers when uh, cam was quarterback there which by the way cam newton had an undefeated record against the patriots coming in uh here to foxborough these guys have discussed the types of ability that cam had and i think josh mcdaniels has been a student of cam's for quite some time there were rumblings that uh he his enthusiasm about the carolina job cooled a little bit when he found out that cam was no longer going to be there now take that for what you will that could just be rumor innuendo uh that's never been uh you know confirmed but there are people that will tell you that so i think there was a lot of not so much what What uh, Josh knew that uh, Brian Flores was going to do on defense. And knowing the type of defense that Brian Flores was able to employ, I think that type of knowledge led to Josh having the upper hand on Sunday. He's not going to have that type of upper hand every single time he plays an opponent this year, folks. I think it was kind of the perfect storm, and especially it being the first game, taking advantage of a young team that hasn't had a chance to gel yet. Uh, I think that's why you saw the outcome that you saw. So, um, you know, I, I don't. I'm not saying there was any conspiracy theories that were thrown around there at all. It's not, you know, that's probably a conversation for another day. You have a career in politics, sir. The way you handled that, am sorry
2: you have a career in politics, sir. The way you handled that jab. We love you. We love the fact that you take time out of your busy schedule to join us. Every single, whenever we ask you to join us, you're always here and available. We love it. Why don't you tell the listeners what you have brewing over this week at Lockdown Patriots and where they can find you on social media?
1: Absolutely, it's always my honor to uh, to join you guys. Like I said at the beginning of the show, and uh, I know you said you wanted to throw yourself through plate glass for talking to a Patriots fan. <laughs> I thought you guys were more about putting yourselves through tables. So uh, forgive me if if we're doing plate glass now in Buffalo. Then I got to study up. I got to get uh, more adept into that. Uh, but no, all kidding aside, uh, you can catch me each and every day on the Locked On Patriots podcast. Uh, this week we have the crossover coming on Thursday. Myself and Corbin Smith of SI and uh, host of Locked On. Seahawks will be breaking this one down. A lot of news, notes, and analysis when it comes to the uh, evolution of the Patriots-Dolphins game into the Patriots-Seahawks this week. So uh, a lot coming up on uh, on the pod and looking forward to it.
4: Yeah, Scott Mason, Alf Arteaga, Mike Tabate. Go follow all of those guys on Twitter. They're bringing the noise of the content for their respective teams.
2: I love the lack of enthusiasm you have. It's enthusiasm to me. Yeah. <laughs> Folks, this is what I live with.
4: Yeah, I mean, I don't sound like some people that podcast. You know what I'm talking about.
2: <laughs> no, you do not sound like you're trying to spin smooth jazz hits. Exactly. Uh, folks, week two. It's here, it's in front of us, and here's what we're going to be watching. Sunday, we're going to be at my house, smoking meat and watching the Buffalo Bills take on the Miami Dolphins, looking to go 2-0 in the division. Now, every week, Chris and I are going to pick the games. Whoever gets the most right wins the week. And at the end of the season, whoever holds the most points is the winner. And I already have a punishment set up for the loser.
4: It should be just a Seagrams.
2: No, I've got something far better than that. What is that? Uh, You better hope you're not the loser because you're going to find out. (laughs) With that said, the Bills versus the Dolphins. Chris, can we talk about this and say that, look, the Bills, I don't want to say you're playing with house money, but you just destroyed a team that was... "Quote unquote rebuilding and farther along." I mean, Mike Florio, who according to Scott, is a, can't be trusted for his correct for his acumen, even though he writes out multiple articles a day. A, a more talented roster than the one we beat last year. We hand we handled them. The Bills are playing with house money here, going into South Beach. You're going to go up against the Miami Dolphins. I think that the Dolphins are a team that. Mm, I think they want to be good and they want to believe that they can be good. I think they want to believe that the investments they made in free agency are all going to pay off. But as Sunday showed us, they rebuilt that front seven. Look at the linebackers that they spent money on. They brought in an outside linebacker in Shaq Lawson, who we told them, do not play him out in space. And Elf made one of the funniest comments I've ever heard. They look like the moon <laughs> yeah we told them not to play him in space they did the same thing across the board trying to square peg round hole guys and you saw the fruits of that i think that they chris does this not make you feel better about our joan gm yeah like our free agency moves seem to pay off Over and over and over again, we have yet to have a true bust. If you want to say one, it might be Star Latulale. He might be the biggest thing, closest thing to a bust we've had.
4: Yeah, but the thing Star Latulale does doesn't really show up on stat sheets.
2: And that's my point. Meanwhile, you've got teams like the Dolphins that blew out, blew it out in free agency, and that's why everyone, every Dolphins fan everywhere, had a hard on saying, "We're gonna win. We're a dark horse to make the playoffs." And you go into Foxborough and get handled like that, especially your front seven gets handled like that.
4: Yeah, well, I mean, while I talked about this all off season with the amount of draft capital that they had, the amount of moves they made in free agency. It's a COVID offseason. They don't have the time to build chemistry on the field. No. So I think that definitely showed. And like what you heard from Alf, they couldn't, they couldn't handle the rushing attack from New England. I'm and taking the bills. I as well am taking the bills. I don't see how we lose this
2: game. The Jets. The Jets against the 49ers. I'm sorry. But the coaching of a former Super Bowl head coach a team that just appeared in the big game couldn't get they they couldn't get it done against Kyler Murray I don't think I think the 49ers when we talk about Super Bowl hangovers the 49ers are the very te- they're the exact type of team that's susceptible to this and let's not forget that the 49ers are missing a huge chunk of their skill position players It got so bad, before training camp ended, they had to go out to the street and find free agents to come play wide receiver, and then those free agents got hurt. So right now, they're trotting out rookies and nobodies. Who does that sound like at wide receiver? Uh, Rookies and nobodies? The Jets. The New York Jets. So it's interesting to see the two of them playing each other. Now the question is, who's a better coordinator slash coach? Adam Gase. Said no one ever. (laughs) Definitely not Mike Greenberg. (laughs) Or
4: Kyle Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan. I don't see how the 49ers lose this game. You were probably the preseason favorite in the NFC West. I mean, you do have competition with Seattle, but I don't think anybody saw Arizona coming up the way they did week one. So I think the 49ers are coming across country, and they're pissed off. So i would i take the 49ers in i'm this.
2: gonna i'm gonna go with the 49ers even though hey if you listen to some podcasts, they will tell you about how hard it is to go from west coast to east coast oh yeah as if nobody understands
4: yeah i've <laughs> I've heard somewhere somebody <laughs> somebody lists that that's the reason why the reason why people have a hard time going from west coast to east Coast is because they sit in the airplane chair it's so crammed in there you're a big. Giant football player sitting in a little tiny chair. I don't think
2: that's it. Groundbreaking analysis, Chris. We are the pettiest <laughs> podcast in existence. I love it. I love <laughs> that we're doing this. <laughs> we're just letting it all hang out. And then in what I think is the I think is the most compelling matchup in the division this week. It's not even ours. It's the Patriots at the Seahawks. It's the reverse concept. You have a team who's going to travel from East Coast to West Coast. You're talking about a team that just threw for 155 yards. Chris, the thing about it, it's kind of like in our conversation, I know we talked about it with with Mike DiBate. You get to a point where against bad football teams, that sort of production from your passing game is going to be acceptable. But if you're going up against Russ, I'm sorry, Russ is the quarterback who absolutely can cut it loose. Yeah. He can cut it loose through the air. He can be. I would argue that at this point in their careers, he's almost a more dynamic weapon on the ground than Cam is. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. He's smarter than Cam. Well, I mean, just look at the way they dress. (laughs) That, that, That says it all. But ultimately, the Patriots have a huge mountain to climb here in this game, at least based on what we saw in week one they can't, they're not going to be able to get away with just dinking and dunking a lot of play action pass and a lot of RPOs involving the quarterback. You're not going to survive that way when you have a team that can easily— Chris a team that can hang 24 on you at some point you got to be able to answer. The Patriots have yet to prove that they can do that with any sort with any sort of uh regularity. Yeah. And so with that, I think this becomes the most compelling matchup of the week in the AFC East.
4: Yeah, Seattle's gonna win the game. No <laughs> doubt in my You're mind. You're taking Seattle? Yeah. Me too. All right. Well we got all what's the we're taking We're taking sure. all the same, sir. So yeah. this week is a wash. Is there not a is there not a tiebreaker? Like
2: uh let's debate it. What do you want the tiebreaker to be?
4: I just because of you've referenced it as a color before, which I don't think it is. I would assume that the Patriots going west to Seattle, Cam Newton will dress in a salmon-colored suit or a salmon-colored romper because Seattle is known for fish. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'll take that bet. <laughs> just, that's, just, that's just my guess.
2: <laughs> all right. As a fa- it's all going to come down to as as Cam a, Newton's yeah, wardrobe for as,
4: week two. As a fashionista myself, I would just assume that...
2: For those of you listening at home, I want you to understand how personally I take this. The day of my wedding, we're getting our my wedding photos taken, and I'm yelling at people walking up and down the Lake Erie waterfront, screaming at them, Hey, you! I need an honest answer! Is salmon a color? Because Chris seems to think that it is. It, no, it's not. No, no, he says it's not, and salmon is absolutely
4: a color. Yeah, you think it's a color, which is... No, salmon's a fish that swims in the sea, and it is delicious to eat. The best fish to eat. It is not a color.
0: Listen,
2: folks, salmon, color, not a color. Tweet us at Report. I want to know what you think. Help us settle this debate. But in the meantime, when we look at the division this week, the winners will keep pace. The losers will fall behind. And given the level of competition for each of our divisional counterparts and the significant hurdle each of them represents... If everything goes well, for the first time in years, the Bills could be looking at being unanimously in first place in the AFC East by week three. When's the last time you could say that?
4: Uh I don't know. What about last season? What was our start last
2: season compared to New England's? We were tied with New England. All right. This could be the first time that we own the AFC since what eleven? As of uh, eleven, I don't even know when we went five and one. How exciting is that for you? It's exciting to me.
4: I like hell being, yeah. I like being a part of a uh, winning culture.
2: That's what I'm talking about. I'm excited. Hopefully, you're excited, and can't wait to see it. Follow all of our guests and us on Twitter over at RockpileReport. Report. And as Chris said, all of our guests are putting out phenomenal comment content. But we gotta get out of here. It's been a long night. There's only so much pettiness one podcast can handle. I'm Drew Gear. That's been our amazing slate of guests. Thank you to Mr. El Mike DeBate, and Scott Mason. That's my producer, Chris Krueger, and this has been your AFC's Roundup.
4: The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else.